0: Russia's Sputnik Radio, and Radio Havana, Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. Japan has reported fewer COVID cases recently. The Omicron variant led the government at first to restrict all air traffic, but then rolled back the order. South Korea, which is 80% fully vaccinated, has reached a record high for new COVID infections. China has pledged to provide 1 billion doses of vaccine to the African continent. Russia is denouncing the upcoming U.S.-led Summit for Democracy and criticizing the U.S. for failing to create democracies after imposing regime changes. The U.S.-led military exercises in the waters around Japan now include forces from Germany, Australia, and Canada. The U.S. Defense Department completed a review of its global military posture. China is firmly opposed to the expansion into the Asian region. Putin defends the Chinese buildup in the Indo-Pacific and criticized AUKUS, the new military pact between the U.S., U.K., and Australia, NHK Japan.
1: Japan has the pandemic under relative control. New cases remain low. Authorities across the nation reported 127 on Thursday. Tokyo confirmed 11 of them. The current number of confirmed Omicron cases in Japan is two. Now, research institutes institutes around the world are analyzing Omicron symptoms and the effectiveness of vaccines. The European Center for Disease Prevention and Control said all 44 people it confirmed as having Omicron in the EU on Tuesday had mild symptoms or none. A senior health official in Botswana told, reporter, uh, told Reuters 16 out of 19 people with Omicron had very mild symptoms or none. A Japanese expert says there's still no clear data on the new variant's characteristics.
2: The number of serious cases increases once infections spread to a certain extent, so we must not drop our guard. We must keep collecting data, make sure we understand the situation, and make decisions based on the results of experiments.
1: The country is rolling back a travel restriction that would have left some citizens stranded abroad. The government reversed the decision to ban new bookings for flights into Japan for the rest of the year. The transport ministry had asked airlines to cooperate. Existing reservations would not have been cancelled, but new bookings would have been virtually impossible even for Japanese citizens. Prime Minister Kishida Fumio admitted on Thursday the ban on new bookings had caused confusion. South Korea has set a new high in daily coronavirus infections. For the first time since the pandemic began, the tally has topped 5,000. The government says there were a record record 5,123 new cases on Tuesday. Hospitals were treating 723 patients with severe symptoms, also the most ever. Infections are concentrated in Seoul, putting the medical system there under strain. More than 90% of the beds for critically ill patients in the capital are occupied. Now around 80% of the country's 52 million people have been fully vaccinated but infections are on the rise among the elderly who were inoculated early on and children who are still largely unvaccinated. The presence of the Omicron variant has also been confirmed for the first time in South Korea. The government announced on Wednesday evening five people are infected with the new
3: strain. China's so-called vaccine diplomacy is unfolding in Africa amid growing concerns over the Omicron variant. China has pledged to provide more coronavirus vaccine doses to the continent in an apparent bid to boost its influence there. Chinese President Xi Jinping gave a remote speech to the Forum on China-Africa cooperation on Monday. The Forum's first meeting in three years is underway in Senegal. she said, China will provide 1 billion doses in addition to those already offered and send 1,500 medical personnel and public health experts to Africa. China says it has already sent 200 million doses to Africa. The United States and other countries are also increasing their vaccine pledges to African nations. She also pledged to increase the value of imports from Africa to $300 billion over the next three years in a move to address Africa's discontent with the trade imbalance with China.
4: Russia is denouncing the upcoming summit for democracy and criticizing the United States' reputation for upholding human rights. The U.S. has invited 110 countries and regions, but not Russia or China, which it views as authoritarian. Russia's foreign ministry lashed out in a statement. It says summit organizers should not claim to be beacons of democracy because of chronic problems with freedom of speech and providing fair elections. It specifically pointed to U.S. actions in several other nations, including Afghanistan. American troops pulled out of the Middle Eastern country this summer after nearly 20 years. The statement said that attempt at forced democratization ended in national tragedies. U.S. President Joe Biden's invite list, which includes Taiwan, quickly drew the attention of China. It opposed the move more than a week ago. Washington will host the online summit next Thursday and Friday.
1: Now, the United States is carrying out joint exercises with its allies in waters around Japan. F-35C stealth fighter jets conducted takeoff and landing exercises. German naval vessels joined Australian, Canadian and Japanese forces for the first time in a regular drill.
2: We will further strengthen our cooperation to address the increasing threats to maritime security, such as unilateral attempts to change the status quo by force. We will contribute to Japan's defense and the peace and stability of the Indo-Pacific region.
1: The U.S. 7th Fleet commander said the joint exercises are meant to demonstrate their capabilities to nations that have been carrying out shows of strength. The U.S. Defense Department says it's completed a review of the country's global military posture. A senior Pentagon official said its priority will be the Indo-Pacific.
5: The Global Posture Review directs additional cooperation with allies and partners across the region to advance initiatives that contribute to regional stability and deter potential military aggression from China and threats from North Korea.
1: The administration of President Joe Biden carried out the review in response to growing concerns about China's military buildup. The initiatives include seeking greater regional access for military partnership activities, enhancing infrastructure in Guam and Australia, as well as prioritizing military construction across the Pacific Islands. New rotational aircraft deployments and logistics cooperation with Australia are also part of the plan. The defense official said more initiatives are forthcoming in the region but require additional discussions among allies. Officials in Beijing swiftly responded to the U.S. move. China is
3: firmly opposed to the U.S. attempts to make the China threat theory an excuse for its expansion of military spending, military power, and maintenance of military hegemony.
1: The spokesperson said the U.S. announcement exposes its real intention to militarize the region and contain China.
6: Russian President Vladimir Putin is defending China's military buildup in the Indo-Pacific. And he's criticizing a security pact between the United States, the U.K., and Australia designed to counter it. Putin spoke at an online forum attended by business leaders and investors from Russia and other countries on Tuesday. Asked about China's military buildup, Putin said China has a huge population and has the right to establish a defense policy needed for its own security. Putin then denounced the AUKUS Trilateral Security Alliance, which was announced in September.
7: Creating a closed alliance will not help improve the regional situation, but will only fuel tensions.
6: Russia is expanding economic cooperation with China and has repeatedly conducted joint patrol activities in the air and in the waters around Japan. Observers say Putin aims to keep the U.S. in check while stressing ties with China and demonstrating his country's commitment to the Indo-Pacific region.
0: Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are heard from 8.30 to 9.00 p.m. at 7245 and 9865 or on the web at www www.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. Next, Sputnik Radio. On his program called Going Underground, Afshin Ritansi interviewed the former UN Special Rapporteur on the Human Rights of Migrants, Francois Crapeau. They discussed the closing of borders over the new coronavirus variant fears and why that strategy will likely be ineffective, the death of 27 migrants in the English Channel, and why migrant crises and the business of illegal smuggling is a recent phenomenon. Francois also describes what motivates politicians on the migration
7: issue. Sputnik Radio critics accuse Europe of washing its hands of a migrant crisis, arguably of its own making. Dozens have been killed after trying to cross the channel to reach the UK, as so-called mainstream media reports record daily numbers entering the UK while emitting UK wars many of them are fleeing from. Joining me now from Montreal and Canada is Professor Francois crapeau the former UN special rapporteur on the human rights of migrants. Do you expect rich countries to be using Omicron further to uh, stop asylum uh, cases? I mean, there's news... Uh, of polish agents repelling uh, refugees trying to cross the border from belarus again that seems to have disappeared from mainstream media are they going to use the pandemic
5: yes yes absolutely they've been using the pandemic for closing borders you heard who the world health organization calling for not closing borders a few days ago closing borders against viruses is ludicrous as a concept as australia demonstrated and australia is very well protected by oceans and yet it didn't prevent them from from getting the virus. In the beginning of the pandemic, a year and a half ago, it, it allowed um, healthcare systems to prepare for what was coming. But at this point, if our healthcare systems are not able to manage, you know, the pandemic, and if we don't vaccinate enough, and if we don't get protection, you know, protective gear and everything, Well, we're we're behind, we're behind.
7: Do you, as a former special rapporteur, see uh, the uh, attitude to migration, echoes of it in the so-called war on drugs, that we ban heroin and we ban uh, cocaine and expect uh, heroin and cocaine to never come to the European Union?
5: Absolutely, you can start with a prohibition era in the 20s and 30s in North America. Um, When you have a need on one side, and a needs on the other side and you put a barrier in between you create an underground market that happens for alcohol it happens for drugs and it happens for migration because all uh, immigration welcoming states have millions of employers who want to employ these migrants often exploiting them, and these are unacknowledged labor needs. We hear our politicians say that we don't want low-wage migrants because they're going to reduce uh, the the average wage in in our country or they're going to bring poverty, etc. But in fact, employers are ready to employ them in all the economic sectors that are not delocalizable. eh? Agriculture, construction, fisheries, extraction, care, etc., hospitality. And if they have a job, it's because there's a job market for them. Not acknowledging that and preventing them from coming actually creates a market for all those smugglers who are exploiting them. There was no smuggling in Europe during the Schengen area between, let's say, Italy and France for almost 20 years, until two, three years ago, uh, France decided to stop people at Ventimiglia. And suddenly, the footpaths in the Alps were rediscovered by smugglers. Migrant smuggling is a policy-induced activity, and criminal activity.
7: Let's get to the channel. 27 dead. Was it manslaughter?
5: Immigration-welcoming states, and that includes Malaysia and South Africa and Brazil. It's not a Global North issue. It's all immigration-welcoming states are responsible for those deaths in deserts, in mountain passes, in, at sea. We've seen what's happened in the Mediterranean over the past 10 years. They are responsible because they know that these people will come. And they know that their policies are preventing them to come and are offering the smugglers an opportunity to make money without taking risks. And they know how to reduce that. But in the 50s and 60s and and early 70s, no one died in the Mediterranean, to take an example, because people could get visas very quickly and could buy ferry tickets. There was no need, and yet millions of people crossed the Mediterranean. Millions of people from Central America came to the U.S., and millions of people uh, from the Caribbean and the, the subcontinent to Britain no one died there was no need for that because you could you could be mobile and states know that reinstating mobility taking over the mobility market from the smugglers by providing visas and this has to be done gradually you don't want to you know flood the country but you have to do that gradually and have an objective of making mobility faster cheaper safer uh, for everyone Or
7: is it because European Union countries now know they were involved in wars, that they don't want to approach this subject the way you just described there? Some of the people that died, a Kurdish man and woman from Syria, two males from Yemen, two males from Iraq, do you think um, countries like Britain should have to uh, institute those kinds of policies you just mentioned before they bomb Syria, before they bomb uh, Iraq, before they sell arms uh, to Saudi Arabia to bomb Yemen?
5: Yeah, the question of responsibility for past action is something that I I don't touch. What I'm interested in are the migrants themselves.
7: Boris Johnson's uh, Home Secretary, Priti Patel, said, We are not working just to end these crossings because we don't care and we're heartless. The United Kingdom has a clear and a generous, humane approach to asylum seekers and refugees. And of course, that's in the context of uh, witnesses saying they saw jet skis practicing on the south coast, uh, deterring uh, dinghies in the channel, and uh, reports denied by the Johnson government of putting up uh, wave machines uh, to uh, uh, stop dinghies um, getting to to Britain, and plans to just uh, send them to disused oil platforms in the north Sea or or send them to Ascension Island, those fleeing uh, wars Britain has been involved in
5: yeah Britain is is doing things that Greece has been doing with the approval of the EU uh, on its on its uh, eastern coast with Turkey um, and that many other countries are doing what what has been done in the past few years uh, at the american Mexican border is not much better either, so all these things are killing people or hurting them at least. When I was a special rapporteur, I visited probably 80 to 90 detention centers throughout Europe and elsewhere. There's no investment in those facilities unless they are purpose-built and then they become like maximum security detention centers. There is detention of children almost everywhere I've seen. When the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child said that detention Of children for migration purposes can never ever be in their best interest. I've seen that everywhere so the UK is doing badly okay but that's that's true of many other countries. Our politicians do not care about migrants because migrants do not vote. What they are doing is managing their electorate. And managing their electorate through immigration policies means that these immigration policies are made by non-migrants for non-migrants, the electorates, and they're not aimed at migrants. So politicians actually do not care about what migrants do in the country. And it seems that we have a a mobilizable electorate, which is anti-immigration, which is very happy that we detain and deport all the time, including children, including pregnant women. And that's what our politicians uh, are doing. And we can't blame them. We have the best system we've ever invented to govern ourselves, electoral democracy, and they respond to the electoral pressure. And the electoral pressure is not from people who are pro-immigration.
7: Former Special Rapporteur, thank you.
0: That excerpted interview is by Avshin Ritansi from his program called Going Underground on Sputnik Radio, the current name for the voice of Russia available online at rt.com, and on YouTube you can search for Going Underground. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California 95490. Please, help me continue producing this weekly show which I freely distribute to radio stations and the internet. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. In Honduras, leftist Zamora Castro became the country's first female president after 12 years of right-wing governance. In Bolivia, Janine Añez, who was president after leading a coup, was indicted for crimes committed when she was a senator. Then a viewpoint on the U.S. denouncing the recent Venezuelan elections while a United Nations expert denounced new U.S. state laws to prevent millions of minorities from voting. Israeli naval forces opened fire on Palestinian fishermen and their boats. Radio Havana, Cuba
2: in Sunday's elections in Honduras, presidential candidate Ziomara Castro of the Libertad y Refundación, or Libre Party, and wife of former president Manuel Zelaya, has a substantial lead. Regarding the dynamics of the election day, the CNE confirmed that everything went smoothly and the council praised the participation of the Honduran people. After the first electoral results were made known late Sunday evening, the virtual winner thanked the people and all the political sectors for her victory. Castro announced that she will form a government of justice, peace, and reconciliation. She added that she will work to build a true participatory democracy in that Central American country. In Honduras, the ruling party candidate, Nasri Asfura, has recognized the triumph of Xiomara Castro, nominated for the presidency by the Libertad y Refundación Libre Party, in the elections held last Sunday. The losing presidential hopeful running for the national party, the PN, went to the residence of Xiomara Castro to extend his congratulations admitting defeat. With 53.49% of the votes, with a lead of more than 20 points over Asfura, Xiomara has become the virtual president of the Central American country. Today I met with Ziomara and her entire family. I went to her house personally to congratulate her. Now I want to say it publicly that I congratulate her on her triumph as Fuhrer expressed in a video-recorded message. As president-elect, I wish that God enlightens and guides her so that in her administration she does the best for the benefits of all Hondurans to achieve that development that the yearnings for democracy, emphasized the politician who received 33.9% of the valid votes according to the preliminary count. The Bolivian Prosecutors' Commission issued this Tuesday an indictment against two former de facto President Janine Agnes for crimes committed as a senator up to until her self-proclamation as president of that Latin American country regarding the Galpe II case. There are sufficient elements to show that Janine Agnes would have adapted her conduct to the criminal types foreseen in Article 153, referring to resolutions contrary to the Constitution and laws and Article 154 related to the breach of duties explained the Secretary-General of the Attorney's Office, Edwin Kispé. Kispé underlined that more than... Sunday evidences have been presented for the new accusation against INEAS and referred to Golpe 1 and Golpe 2 cases, highlighting that they have to do with the actions attributed to the implicated and prior to self-declaration as president of the Blue Green National State. The prosecutor also detailed that due to the previous years, to the investiture, the accused cannot use the presidential sash to be pardoned for such crimes and will have to face the legal consequences of her crimes.
8: The United States Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, said his country still recognizes Juan Guaidó's government on the grounds that Venezuela's recent regional elections were invalid, despite the resounding victory of the legitimate government of Nicolás Maduro. Thus, this gentleman maintains the false premise that Washington is the appropriate arbiter to determine when votes work and when they do not, depending on whether the country in question is submissive or it rebels against the whims of the White House. However, Blinken's high-handed statements came at about the same time that a UN expert declared that there are certain laws in the United States designed to prevent millions of people from voting. This is how the expert on minority affairs Fernand de Varence, summed up his visit to the US, stating that in many areas of that country there is evidently a quasi tyranny of the white majorities stubborn in reserving for themselves the right to choose the authorities. In a video conference, the Varense said that the United States has incomplete legislation on human rights and their protection. This, he added, has caused that millions of Americans, especially members of ethnic minorities, suffer from inequality, discrimination, and even exclusion, and has led to an increase in hate speech and hate crimes. Members of the black community in that country are much less likely to participate in local and federal elections and much more likely to be imprisoned and despised on social media, the Barents said. He also stated that there are different levels of citizenship in the United States, making reference to the population of Puerto Rico, a territory claimed by Washington as a free associate, but its citizens cannot vote to elect the president of the country. Can you imagine the outrage of Miami's population and elsewhere if these anomalies were to occur, for example, in Cuba, Nicaragua or Venezuela? Well, it turns out that in the perfect democracy, as the United States believes itself to be denying or obstructing the right to vote to millions of blacks, Asians, or Hispanics, even poor and destitute whites, is not only legal, but is endorsed by the highest court, the Supreme Court of Justice. If anyone thinks this is an exaggeration, I recommend reviewing the voting restriction legislation passed this year in Texas and Arizona, just to cite two examples.
2: Palestinian Information Center has reported that Israeli naval forces opened fire on fishermen and their boats off the shores of different areas of Gaza early Sunday. Local sources says the Israeli gunboat attacks took place off the shores of as Sudanaya and Al-Waha areas in the northwest of Gaza, as well as off the coast of Gaza City and central Gaza. Over the past few years, Israeli forces have carried out hundreds of such attacks, arresting dozens of fishermen and confiscating several boats. Under the Oslo Peace Accord, the fishing zone was supposed to extend to 20 nautical miles, but as the Tel Aviv regime has imposed greatest restrictions, it has shrunk over the years. Under a ceasefire agreement reached between Israelis and Palestinians following the deadly 50 day Israeli war in August of 2014, Tel Aviv agreed to expand the fishing zone of Gaza's coast, allowing Palestinian fishermen to sail offshore only as far as 6 nautical miles.
0: Those reports and viewpoint were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at RadioHC.cu, though the podcasts have not been updated. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6,000, 60, 60, or 6,100. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for the show, that's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. The shortwave report, which is now in its 25th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.